Get ready. It's time for Operation Late Night Excitement. Top rated late night radio. The awesomest night of all time. After dark. It's Late Night with Hancock and Kelly. You deserve a fun night. On King of OX. Happy Monday, St. Louis. It's Hancock and Kelly in for our Monday night gig. We uh, got to spend a little time together, didn't we, today? Here we are. What's the matter, John? I'm not happy. Well, so uh, let's just bring the listeners up to uh, speed. You and I uh, got away this afternoon. Uh, and I want to talk to you about uh, President's Day. Yeah. Because it's one of these weird holidays, right? I but, love President's so, Day. But we wound up, uh, the day was kind of slow. We used to have Washington's Day and we had Lincoln's Day. Now they merged it all together and then created President's Day and everybody works except the government. Well, that's just it. I mean, these half holidays, we do it for Martin Luther King Day. We do it for President's Day, Veterans Day. There's a bunch of these holidays where the government and the stock market, the post office all closes down, yeah. but most of the businesses continue to go, and that's that's messed up. I mean, well, let's either have a holiday or not have a holiday. Well, you, you know, you can't have too many holidays. You get soft out there. People got to get up and go to work, you know. They got to provide for their families. And, uh, but a holiday is a holiday. Everybody, well, a, well, What's the difference between Christmas, getting Christmas off, and President's Day off? Buddy. Christmas is Christmas. It's well, it's not a national. It, I guess it is a national holiday. A, I don't know. Is it? Yes. The is most it a national event ho- in the history of the world? Uh, well, to some people, uh, there's a there's almost half the population that doesn't really believe it's that so, uh, well, significant. You believe whatever you want to believe. I'm just telling you, it's the most significant day in the history. For, of the for world. you, John Hancock, I don't know that it's most significant for a person who uh, recognizes the Jewish faith or the Muslim faith. Well. Your calendars are based on it. Your dating is based on it. Um, it is, you know, I, I think you can make a very, very strong case that the birth of Christ was the most significant historical event in human history. How about that? All right. Well, okay. But, I mean, the fact that it's a national holiday, I mean, what about, I mean, everybody's off on Christmas pretty much. So. Right. But, you know, President's Day, only the government, the stock market, the post office, all these things, well, they shut got, down. You know, it's, it's like... Uh, it's like the keys on the piano. You got your major chords and you got your minor chords. But and, but uh, if it's a, if the, if the government shuts down, I think everybody ought to shut down. No, uh, because you got to you got to go to work, and and most of your holidays are negotiated into your working contracts anyway. For you you know you labor guys out there. Yeah, well, you're a labor guy. I guess I am. You belong yes. to a union. I guess I do. Wow. So well, we uh, spent a little bit of our President's Day today. I worked. Did you work today? I did. Oh yeah. 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 And but but it was kind of a strange day because you'd call some people they weren't working, Everybody some people working. were. No, they weren't. Everybody. Was Nobody. Working. But my brother-in-law was a stock market, a stockbroker. He wasn't working a day. Oh well. He had good, the day off. Good for him. Uh, my little nephew is a postman. He didn't. He didn't work today. He had the he's day a post- off. Really? Yeah, he's a postman. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, that's cool. I think he's out. Does in, he have a route? I think he's out in Baldwin. Is it a route or a route? A route or a route? I think it's a route. What, how would it be different? Well, it's the same. What's word. the difference between root and round? There is no difference. It's just, just the way you that say you say it. it. Yeah. What about jar and jar? What? A jar and j- drawer and drawer. How do you say it? Drawer. What are you talking about? It's a drawer. Okay. How do you say forty or farty? It's Highway Forty. I say Highway Forty as well. Is there any other words like that you say differently than than others? No, I say you know I have a very um, what what they call a midwestern. Accent. Really? Yeah. They kind of a nondescript. My accent could work anywhere. 
So you could go down south and people wouldn't be like, well, he doesn't belong here? Well, you can. My my brother has moved to North Carolina years ago, and he now sounds and talks like, like a southerner. Yes, yeah, it's weird. Now the people from New York and and Boston. I mean, you can you can hear them from a mile away. Boston, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've spent a little time down in Florida, and there's lots of New Yorkers and Bostonites down there. Oh, it's a place is full of them. Yeah, and, and and they all they all have this weird way of talking. You just got to deal with it. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. I kind of like accents. Uh, um, really, I like British accents. I'm glad I don't have. Oh, who doesn't like a British I accent? Know. It's, it's awesome. You know, when you speak with a British accent, you can say the most ridiculous things to people, and it's not insulting. So, for instance, I could be like, "Well, Mister Hancock, mm-hmm. I do believe that you're a lazy bum." <laughs> Cheerio, there, mate. But if I called you a lazy bum to your face, you'd probably punch me. Yeah, I wouldn't like you. But if I do it with a British accent, you can say just the most ridiculous stuff, and it's okay. One of the most insightful comments you've ever made, Michael. Yeah. Uh, Did you know that you can hire people to, like, make your voicemail? It would be like, you've reached the telephone of Mr. John R. Hancock. He's unable to take your call at this moment. If you'd like to leave a message, please do so. Well, that's like that whole cameo thing, you know, where you can get celebrities to send somebody a personal. My my son did that for me for Father's Day. Who'd he send you? John Virgo. Who's that? He is the Al Michaels of snooker. He's the announcer. He sits in the commentary box. During the matches, and uh, is he the one that patented the phrase "Where is the cue ball going?" Yes, that's yes. The, he is the one in the same. Well, well, since you brought up snooker, I was letting it go because we were going to talk holidays. But uh, you and I got a little bit of time on the base today, and if, if for those of you who listen regularly, John beats the snot out of me at snooker because he grew up with no life uh, and played a pool his whole life. Mm-hmm. And now he and I have started this snooker game together, and uh, I, I'm having a hard time remembering what what was the final outcome. Four of the, to four. Four to four. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's that was not a bad day for me. Well, that's a tie, and uh, and it. But it's usually like eight to two. It shouldn't have been a tie, though. I, you know, there was some really really bad breaks at the end for me. Those last. But I don't want to. I don't want to dwell on the past. I'm not here to talk about the past. But I'm here to talk about the future, Michael. We played a little snooker also with a friend of ours, Simon, who's from the Ukraine. Yeah, interesting to get his perspective. He was born in Kiev and Kiev. Uh, still has uh, family, uh, not family, but friends there. And um, he's been gone since... Uh, the 90s. Yeah, he left before they became an independent country. Right, They right. were still part of the Soviet Union uh, when he was there. And that all, of course, collapsed in 1989. Um but you know what's happening over there right now? The president was in Kiev, Kiev today, mm-hmm. uh, meeting with President Volodymyr uh, Zelensky. Zelensky, yeah, and you know, kind of a bold move, I think, of Joe Biden to head over there, and he uh, he didn't announce that he was going. Uh, although I did find it interesting that the U.S. informed the the Russians that right. he was going and they basically said, Look guys, no funny business. You know Well, don't bomb the Capitol while he's there. You're right. gonna start World War Three. Yeah, exactly. Uh and you know, obviously the Russians listened. I guess with that information they could have gone and started World War Three had they chosen to. They could have. And you you know Vladimir Putin is a he's a malign actor and, and there's no question but that the Russians have committed war crimes throughout the context of this year long now war uh in ukraine and you know i hope i hope they'll be held to account for it uh at some point in the not too distant future don't you think it's going to take the people of russia that are going to have to 
stand up and have some type of action against yeah, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, the problem, Putin. of course, is that they are not being they're not being given accurate information about what's going on. And you know, as far as they're being told, it's a war against Nazis, and right. you know, it's it's ridiculous. And you know, we, I know we, I malign our press uh, on a fairly regular occasion. You know, I find our press to be left of center, uh, some of them quite so. And but having a free press is absolutely vital because that is the only way. You can have access to good information, and you have to work for it increasingly in this country now because everything's so siloed off, and everybody's got their point of view. and uh, And if you just listen to the one point of view, you're going to have a skewed uh, look at the world. And uh, so, anyway, that's it was uh, interesting to me in the news there. We just heard uh, before Sean Michael uh, did the local news that the president flew on a plane other than Air Force One. Of course, any plane that he's on is, is called Air right. Force One. Mm-hmm. But it was a much smaller plane. They landed in Poland, and then he got in a train yeah. and took a train into Kiev, yeah. which I think is interesting. I mean, you, you know, how, how do you put a president in a train for four hours and, and protect them? Well, they did. Well, of course they yeah. did. Yeah. 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 So uh, glad that that happened. Well, there's a lot to do tonight. When we, We're going to step aside now. When we come back, our sports insider is going to be with us. You have some thoughts on the offseason for the NFL. Talk a little Cardinal baseball with him and maybe uh, see if our sports insider caught that fascinating Battle Hawks game oh, yesterday. Battle. Uh, President Jimmy Carter has gone into hospice care. We don't know how much longer he has, but we're going to visit about Jimmy Carter and his legacy both as president and post-presidency. Michael Kelly, John Hancock on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. <laughs> you just going to say the NFL? Yeah. Season's over. That's John Hancock Sr. I'm Michael Kelly. And joining us now on the Celebrity Guest Line is none other than the man who joins us every week at this time. He is John Jr. He's our sports insider. Hello, John. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. The weather was fabulous in St. Louis today. Did the, uh, did the temperatures rise to a tolerable uh, state up in uh, the windy city of Chicago? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty nice uh, this weekend. It was in the, you know, low mid forties for the most part, and you know, I'll take that around here. Yeah, no kidding. Now you guys still have sports going on up there, I guess. Uh, obviously, we have hockey, but you have NBA basketball happening up there too. Is it, are, the, are, are the Bulls any good? Uh, yeah, are the Bulls any good? No. So they had a lot of uh, hype in the preseason that they were going to make some noise, but they've done absolutely nothing this year. Um, yeah, so it's been a disappointment, and obviously the Blackhawks have been downtrodden uh, in the NHL. Well, we can relate there, can't we? Yeah, the Blues have had a rough year. So uh, talking football, I heard a report today that uh, is it Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the New York Giants, has fired his agent, and he's looking for a $45 million a year contract from the Giants. Is that, is that Did I hear that right? Yeah, so Daniel Jones, uh, better known as Danny Dimes, did get rid of his agent, and he's pressing the Giants uh, to you know give him his money to – get the bag. And that's something we've seen with quarterbacks. A lot of the time we saw it with Kyler Murray in Arizona, where even if a team doesn't fully love their quarterback, it's a league where if you don't have a competent hand, at least uh, under center, you're not going to be able to go very far at all. Jones, and, does, Jones doesn't strike me as a guy that's worth $45 million. Yeah, how many quarterbacks in the NFL make that kind of money? Can't be that it, many. Yeah, no, it's, it's only a handful. Um, 
you know, the Browns, when they paid Deshaun Watson last year, they kind of broke the market. They overpaid him, giving him unprecedented amounts of guaranteed money. And that's another reason why Lamar Jackson hasn't signed with Baltimore, because he's looking at that Deshaun Watson contract saying, hey, I was a unanimous MVP a few years back. I'm a better quarterback, and the Ravens don't seem to want to give him, make that kind of a commitment. So what do you see happening there? Jones, is he's not going to get $45 million from the Giants, is he? I mean, uh, I don't I don't think he'll get 45, but I, I could see him getting around 40. Um, I think he could land there. Um, and, yeah, you know, a lot of this is hardball negotiating. He did get them to the playoffs and won a game. Granted, it was yeah, against the Vikings. Yeah. Whip-de-doo. I mean, I get that it's New York, and but, I mean, you made it to one playoff game. You're worth $45 million. That's, yeah, that sounds it, like Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers money to me. Yeah, no, it definitely does. And, you know, in the same vein, the 49ers just made it to the conference championship with Brock Purdy. Uh, but granted, <laughs> they have a much better roster overall than the Giants. You know, if, if the 49ers had a real quarterback, I mean, almost – any of the other quarterbacks in the NFL right now, and he was healthy, that team probably would have been in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you could. I Purdy, Purdy did just fine there. And yeah, look, I think. I think if, if Purdy stays healthy, I think you know they had a great chance to win that game. Yeah, against the Eagles. So uh, I don't know if you got a chance to catch our St. Louis BattleHawks yesterday afternoon. You see any of that game? Yeah, Kaka is the law. Oh Lord, <laughs> are you into this stuff too? Oh, of course. Now, I don't understand how you can have a three-point conversion. Well, that's the rule. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, that uh, Patrick Mahomes' character, you know, he, he's certainly accomplished a lot in the game of football, but I'll tell you what he hasn't done, and that's lead a nine-point drive. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about that. Now, they also have a, a rule where rather than doing an onside kick, you can, what, what is it that you can do? Go for a fourth and 15. From your own 25. Yeah, which is what convert, they did. You, yeah, AJ McCarron ice in his veins. That's my quarterback. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just do that would all the time? Well, because if you don't make it, which you usually don't, the other team's on your twenty-five and they're going to score. Mm. So, uh, but they converted on four on that fourth and fifteen. That's an exciting play. I, I think the rules. I love watching the XFL, and you've got access. So you're watching. You're in the replay booth with the replay official while they're looking at the play. Uh, that's pretty cool. And there's just a lot of rules about that that I uh, I love. I think it's an exciting brand of football, son. I do, too. I do, too. It's, you know, not trying to be the NFL, which is where I think any other league falls short. Uh, they're changing it up, making it more exciting. Um, and as long as you're putting a good product on the field, you know, I think this thing can have some legs. Well, it's going to have legs here. Uh, St. Louis turned out better than any city, the first version uh, of the XFL back in 2020. And, uh, I mean, we were putting – 20, 30,000 people in the stands. There was even talk for the L.A. game that got canceled because of COVID that they were going to open the upper bowl uh, and have upwards of 50, maybe 60,000 people, which would just be incredible for a minor league sport like the XFL. But it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Well, the big league sport in town, of course, is the St. Louis Cardinals. And they're uh, one week into the spring training. The uh, players have all now reported as of today what do you make of this ball club? Talking to John Hancock, our sports insider. Yeah, so I think first game is coming up uh, this weekend. Saturday. Yeah, yeah. so that'll be good. Uh, it'll be exciting to see Contreras get in there, see what he can do, taking over for Yachty. Uh, his bat, you know, is obviously going to be a massive upgrade at the catcher position, but I'm curious to see 
especially with some of the with the bullpen guys, how losing Yachty uh, behind the plate is going to impact them uh, and even some of the younger starters as well. You have good feelings about Contreras. How do you say his name? Contreras. Contreras's bat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the past few years, what we've gotten from Yachty, you know, wasn't amounting to that much. That's going to be a substantial upgrade. I think he's going to be a very strong middle of the order presence for this team. Yeah, you bet. You bet him fifth, maybe sixth. Uh, and but he extends the lineup. I think the whole key to this club. I'll see if you agree with this. Is is the the offensive production in the outfield. Because that could make all the difference in the world if, if those guys can actually produce. What do you think on Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, and Lars Newtbar? Yeah, so obviously all three have potential. Lars showed a lot to like last year. Uh, hopefully he can keep that going into 23, keep on growing, keep on improving. Tyler O'Neill, you know, he's kind of been an enigma. He's shown flashes of being a world-class player. Uh, and then other times he's looked, you know, kind of run the mill. Um yeah, he was working on his cardio, I think he said. So hopefully that leads to some better longevity for him, some more consistency. And then Dylan Carlson, you know, I think he's still he's still very young. He's, uh, I think, still younger than Colby Rasmus was before we traded Colby. And uh, the two of them had very similar numbers, actually, during their Colby's time with the Cardinals. So Dylan Carlson, he's got a better head on his shoulders. So, you know, I think he's got a better chance to develop and really turn he, into a, a top-tier player. Is he the one that got – is really buff that like does all the work. And no, out that's and Tyler O'Neill. Yeah. And yeah. is he still, you know, oh, yeah. Superman? Yeah. Yeah. He does a lot of weight training. He had, he had 34 home runs two years ago and he had a really breakout yeah, but he's, season. He's almost too big to be a ball player. And he's, he? Well, he's, he's always hurt is his problem. And he's had a, just a myriad of injuries over the, well, his whole career, really. He had one healthy season and it was a good one. So you got to hope that, he can replicate that again this year. And before we let you go, John Hancock, what's your prediction on this starting rotation for the Cardinals? And does Jack Flaherty emerge as an ace? So I think Flaherty does emerge as an ace. Uh, so you're going to have Flaherty, uh, Mikolas, and Wainwright definitely in there. If Steven Mance can stay healthy, you know, I think he'll be in the rotation. Um, and then Jordan Montgomery, I think, to round it out. Yeah, and I, I think Montgomery's a sleeper here. Uh, remember, he he had those first six or seven games with the Cardinals when when they acquired him in the trade where he was just unbelievable. Then yeah. he kind of leveled out. Uh, he'd been working on uh, on a slider in the offseason. That could be a potent pitch for him. I like having two left-handers in the rotation in, in, in Mats and Montgomery. When's the last time the Cardinals have had two left-handers in the rotation? It's been a long time. And uh, so I think, this, I think the starting rotation – Works out. I wonder, do you think there's enough depth in the bullpen? So, yeah, bullpen depth is going to be uh, going to be an issue. I think we're going to need, uh, you know, Drew Verhagen um, and Jake Woodford are going to, we're going to need one of those guys to kind of step into a fairly prominent role and certainly improve from last year to give us, you know, the arms we need to really compete in the NL. Well, there's our sports insider, John Hancock. He joins us each and every week from Chicago, Illinois. Thanks for your time. Have a good week at your real job, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. All right. When we come back, Jimmy Carter uh, announced uh, yesterday, I think it was, that uh, he was entering hospice care at home in Plains, Georgia. And we're going to talk about that next here on Hancock and Kelly. Well, it was early Sunday morning that we started to get some news that uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, 39th president of the United States, uh, had chosen after four or five recent hospital visits to go home and uh, to 
take in hospice care for the remainder of his life. Uh, hospice, John Hancock, is one of those things that can last three days. It can last three years. Yeah. I think in Jimmy Carter's case, it's probably uh, more nigh than, than not. Well, he's 98 years old. He's the longest living president in the history of the United States. And uh, he's had a, a remarkable life. He's had a remarkable post-presidency um, when you think about it. And, and for his... I think generally agreed his presidency was not that great. Right. And you don't remember his presidency. No. Interestingly enough, he left in 1981. Of course, I was alive, 1975. He was elected in 1977. Six. Oh, he went into office in 77. Yeah, you're right. Uh, So, uh, of course, he was the president when I was alive, but I wasn't conscious. Right, yeah. You? Oh, sure. Yeah, he was was president. during some very rough times in this country, we were coming out of, um, well, we had the succession, successive events of Vietnam, very controversial, very divisive, div- divided country. In fact, the country was almost as divided during Vietnam as, as we see it today. You know? Come on. And yeah. Really? Oh, no, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. And, um, and just so much discord in the country. And then on the heels of that was the Watergate scandal. That uh-huh. ended up uh, causing President Richard Nixon to resign from office. Gerald Ford becomes president for a cup of coffee and wins a difficult nomination fight against Ronald Reagan in 1976. Ford gets the Republican nomination and he goes on and actually ran a fairly competitive race against Jimmy Carter, who had come out of nowhere right. in 1976. A lot of people thought that it was uh, Ted Kennedy's turn to run. And you had a lot of the old Ed Muskie, Senator Ed Muskie. There were a lot of other candidates who were better known. Nobody really knew this guy who was the governor of Georgia. And now that was a case in 1976 where the Carter people uh, took full advantage of the Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary. Small states, inexpensive media markets. Strong retail politics, particularly in Iowa, and, and the whole way Iowa was designed to be incorporated. And the, one of the reasons it was chosen as an early first state was so that these campaigns that didn't have a, a you know train full of money uh, could compete, and voters could meet them, and they could vote based on the, those personal interactions. Uh, the Democrats have now decided to do away with that, saying that arguing that Iowa is not a good reflection of the country. And uh, so the Biden uh, White House is going to put, I think, South Carolina now as the first state. Imagine that. Yeah. The Biden White House, uh, South Carolina anointed. Yeah, uh, Joe Biden won the nomination. Uh, now, listen, I, I have strong feelings about Iowa, and we'll go back to Jimmy Carter in a second. Yeah. But it's not reflective of the country. So, I, I was there. Uh, I did the presidential campaign for Mr. Gephardt. Uh, in 2003, everybody up there is white. Uh, it's very rural. The, the, the most urban area they have is Des Moines, and it's not much bigger than a giant suburb. Uh, it's it's not a big city, right? Um, and and it you know they've got one, two, three, four media markets, but they're they're really not that big. And the the voters up there were absolutely spoiled. I mean, you know, for three or four decades, the, every presidential candidate, both on the right and the left, show up and, you know, have to go in and, 
and kiss everybody's babies and rub everybody's dogs in the hopes that you'll get attention. It, it probably served its purpose, but it's not reflective of the country. Well, it's not, and it's not designed to be reflective of the country. It was designed, uh, as I said, to, to give candidates a chance to actually meet voters as opposed to running a you know television and in these days digital campaign where everything is paid media that you're putting out there and everything's chopped up into sound bites of 15 and 30 seconds. And heck, they even have six second ads now on, on the digital platform space. Uh, so uh, there was a purpose for choosing Ohio, but uh, th- those days, as you say, are gone. And certainly on the Democratic side, they're not going to go back, I don't think, to that. But anyway, Carter comes out of nowhere. Right. He, he wins. He, he begins to pick up some momentum. Uh, he was kind of a refreshing candidate in a way because he was known as an honest person, and I think he was. He was a very devout evangelical, which you think about that in the context of today's America. Yeah. The devout evangelicals are almost exclusively Republicans. Yeah, yeah. and when he went home, John, in his post-presidency, he taught Sunday Bible school every week at his church that yeah. he uh, grew up Until in. just a few years ago. Yeah. And, you know, you, whatever you may have thought about his presidency, and I thought it was not great, and I thought uh, you know, he suffered—Jimmy Carter was a very smart guy. He was a nuclear scientist, mm-hmm. and um, he was a very smart guy, and he got involved in the minutia of every policy detail. Right. And that's a mistake when you're president. He didn't focus an agenda on one or two or three things. He had— Energy policy, and he did everything. He was getting involved in everything. Jimmy Carter offered the first universal health care plan in American history. That's uh, right. Government health care during his administration. It didn't go anywhere. And generally, his policy initiatives failed. Probably his greatest accomplishment uh, was the peace accords between Israel uh, and Egypt, uh, Menachem Begin and Saddam uh, or what was the guy's name? Uh, Sadat, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin, uh, that historic meeting at Camp David that Jimmy Carter, right. probably uniquely because of his deep faith and knowledge of Scripture, and he knew the history of the Middle East, and he knew the history of the Jewish people and the Arab people there, and he was able to converse about those things. And I think really um, that was probably his shining moment as president of the United States, but the economy was a disaster while he was in office. Inflation, which had begun during the Ford years, uh, was rampant. 13% inflation sustained over months and months and months. And interest rates at the same time had shot up to over 20%. You think about that, you know, we're barking about 7% interest rates right now and buying a home. Well, they were over 20%. Then And the final days of his presidency were colored by the Iran hostage. 444 days they were held captive, including a St. Louis and Rocky Sickman. And it was it captured national attention. That's where Ted Koppel's nightline started it was yeah. during the Iran hostage crisis. And every night they would say it's day 217. And it, it, we had a failed rescue attempt under President Carter that was a, a catastrophe. And then, of course, the hostages were released. The day that Ronald Reagan was sworn January in. January 20th, 1981. And uh, Carter goes on to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 20, 2002 for his uh, work on human rights, uh, the formation of the Carter Center. And then, you know, something I was involved in as a result of the Boy Scouts, John, was Habitat for Humanity. And he probably was the face of that organization for years. more than anybody in uh, the building homes for 
less fortunate um, and, and going, and he, he was the face of that operation and organization for a long time. I think most people consider him to maybe be the gold standard of post-presidencies. Yeah, I certainly had a great one, and he did, he did a good deal of diplomacy uh, when asked by other presidents. Uh, he was very involved in, uh, interestingly enough, in, in election integrity issues uh, for much of his post-presidency. Uh, and he was one of the few Democrats that actually came out and supported photo ID requirements to vote uh, in, his, uh, in his later years. So, yeah, just a remarkable life. And if you were a Democratic candidate, I know this. I mean, you had to go. You wanted your opportunity to be invited to Plains, Georgia, to be seen with Rosalind and and, and Jimmy Carter. And he would meet with folks. I remember when Howard Dean got the invite, it was a huge blow to both John Kerry, Dick Gephardt, and a lot of the others that were in there that the former president was giving him a stage and a platform uh, and now uh, it's his final days. Uh, the longest living president in our history. Yeah, huh? 98 years That's old. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm sure he'll get the proper send-off that he deserves of all the former presidents showing up. It has to be up. the longest post-presidency, too. I mean, 42 years since he left office. Uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not sure that's the longest, but I, it, it would have to be among them if it's not the longest. Do you believe uh, all the former presidents will show up to his funeral if and when that happens? Oh, I think most of them will, yeah. I would be surprised if, uh, if President Trump went. Yeah. Um, he doesn't seem to go to much, does he? He doesn't, no. and uh, Maybe he's not be, invited. Well, <laughs> he was not invited to George Herbert Walker Bush's. Right. Uh, Is that so, right? Yeah. Well. That's a it's a shame. What a world we're living in these days. Hey, John, we're going to step aside when we come back. You uh, played one of my favorite songs on the piano the other night, and you mm. threw it out on the internet. Did I? Know? So when we come back, we'll play that song for you, and we'll talk a little bit about it right here on KMOX. Welcome back to the Hancock and Kelly Here show late night. That's my buddy over there, John Hancock. I'm Michael Kelly. My One of my favorite songs is Billy Joel's Summer Highland Falls. And uh, John Hancock is one of the most talented piano players yeah. that you'll ever meet, particularly as it relates to ragtime. And you told me, hey, you went and learned this song. Yeah, I, I like the song. I always have. And I knew it was one of your favorites. So this is uh, my rendition of it in my home piano.
So this this can't be an easy uh, tune to play. It's, tricky, it's called yeah. Summer Highland Falls. Yeah, I, I don't play it as fast as Billy Joel does, but uh, it, it's got some tricky little fingering, a lot of arpeggios. What does that mean? That's just the, you know, when you're rolling chords. Because half of it's going up and half of it's going down yeah, at the it's, same it's, time. Yeah, it's got a, re- a really nice little uh, unique uh, harmony structure to it, actually. This is the uh, saxophone solo here. That's... There's a couple of spots that'll trip you up if you're not if you're not careful. And I have never really played much pop music, but uh, this was back during the time I got <clears throat> into Elton John. <laughs> I started learning a bunch of his stuff. Yeah. So, but this well, is my only Billy Joel piece. That yeah, I because you you're a ragtime player. Play ragtime, compose and, ragtime. Exactly. And so, but I mean, when did you know, as a musician, that you pretty much can do it? Like play any of it. Well, I, I'd gotten to a place where I was taking lessons I wasn't doing particularly well, and, and uh, my teacher, Bernadine Jones, uh, lived around the corner uh, when I was growing up, and, and uh, she played the Maple Leaf Rag for me one day after my line. I don't remember why she did, but it was, uh, yeah, it was really something, and I, it really moved me, and it was like, it was like in me, and I, I learned that sucker a measure at a time, and I could really play it uh-huh. after it took months. But I could really play it. And then that's about the time The Sting came out, which had all of Scott Joplin's music in it. And my sister had gotten married, and she bought me the complete works of Scott Joplin. So I had this whole book full of ragtime music, and I just started learning it. And I could play okay. And I was back then, I was playing five, six hours a day, just wow. practice after school. And uh, out of joy or just yeah, because just, I, yeah, just, you I were was digging to. it. I was into yeah. it, and I got into the history of it because I, I love history. And uh, so it was a lot of fun. And then uh, they were having auditions at Six Flags, I remember. I was 15, and I only knew like six tunes at that point. <laughs> and, uh, so I show up for the audition. I played one of my songs, and I got a very nice letter saying, you know, well, there's no place for you. But we enjoyed you. Yeah, I know. So, But that was during the summer, you know. And so the fall came, and they called. And I'm, I'm just 16, I guess. And uh, they were going to take Dodge City, where they have the Dodge cars. Okay. They were going to pull the Dodge cars out of there and turn it into um, a beer garden. So when they first started serving beer at Six Flags. Okay. And so it was going to be a beer garden. They were going to have this country western band in there. And they, they were trying to create like an old saloon motif. Uh-huh. Right, sure. And uh, sawdust on the floor and so forth. And so um, they asked if, if I would be able to play the 15-minute inter- uh, intermissions when the country act was off every uh-huh. hour, 15 minutes, and you just play whatever you want. And so I said, sure. And I remember, I'll never forget it. So it was 1980. Okay. And I'm 16, and the, my it was a union gig. Uh-huh. I had to join the musicians' union. Right. And my because I was considered my the leader of my group because it was me. Right. I got the leader's uh, rate, which was at the time eleven dollars and seventy cents an hour. Wow. This was in 1980. Right. And I'm playing 15 minutes an hour, and I and I'm doing you know five six hours a day. Uh huh. I'm making real money. At 16 years old, I quit cutting grass. Right, and uh, you know it was uh, it was good. And then and then 
that was my job for the next seven summers. But it had to have been, you know, when you learn how to play ragtime, of course it it's unique, but it's probably not something that wooed your your mates when you were younger, right? <laughs> they probably were like, "What's up with this?" It dude? worked. It worked. It worked pretty well on the gal that ran the lemonade stand there. Yeah. So okay. So, like, well, I meant mates and pals, but yeah, mates and gals too. Uh, so, but d- did you ever then like hear a song and know that you could play it, or were you almost exclusively ragtime? Oh, uh, I I dabbled a little bit in some other stuff. I played a little bit of jazz and you know, a little bit of pop stuff. I did some Jim Croce and different things like that. But that's almost all ragtime. Now, ragtime is quite an expansive genre. It's not. It's a lot more diverse than people would think. And and contemporary ragtime, the the handful of us that are writing it today, uh-huh. has really evolved into some uh, pretty sophisticated. You know, it, ragtime's folk music, so it, it takes all the elements that are in the universe. It's what makes it so uniquely American because it's got it's got an African uh, contribution, a substantial African contribution, and a substantial European contribution. You've got the Irish, the Irish sure. jigs of the day, and all of that kind of put put it all in a stew and blend it up. Out came ragtime, and so uh, like any folk music, you know, we've incorporated now. In a lot of my pieces, uh, habanero Latin rhythms, okay. for example, and um, so it's it's a yeah, it's pretty interesting. What about your parents? Were they supportive? Oh yeah, or encouraging. Yeah. Did they force you to play? Well, I tried to, and I my my parents. We didn't have a lot of money, and somebody sold my parents a piano, and uh, my older brother played the drums, and my older sister played the cello, and then nobody was taking. So my mom started taking piano lessons, and. You know, she was in her 40s, I guess, by then. And uh, so that I'm, I remember going to her, one of her piano lesson classes. And, uh, you know, she her and her mother played, my grandmother. Okay. was quite a good pianist. Uh, she played all by ear. My grandmother did. And so I just, you know, I wasn't. And, and it's, this was another ragtime thing. I was in the fourth grade uh, at Frostfield Elementary School, and they played a a movie, and there was a guy playing ragtime in this little film about American music or whatever. Right. And I heard that, and I said, ah, that's it. And I went home that day, and I said, okay, I'll take those piano lessons. That's awesome. That was, yeah. All right, so just being a, a guy, I mean, you, you you hear most of these interviews with rock and roll stars. Why did you do it? Well, it was a way for me to get girls. Yeah. Did, did you ever see this as a talent to, to try to woo? Well, heck, uh, I was a music major when I started college. I was going to do it full time or try to. Uh-huh. And, um, but I think those many years at Six Flags playing six hours a day, six days a week, and then doing gigs in the evenings on top of it, you just, it, it, did, it was too much. Did you play at your uh, wedding? Uh, no, I don't think But I you did. composed a piece for your daughter's wedding, but you didn't play did. it your own, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. I wrote a piece of music that my daughter and I went down the aisle to. That was kind of cool. Hey, that was one hour. We'll be back for another one here shortly. We will. Here comes some more Summer Highland Falls. I'll tell you what we've got coming your way. Sean Michael Lyle, oh, our what? favorite segment of every yes. Monday night. He'll, he's going to be with us after he delivers the news to each and every one of you. And it's Hancock and Kelly on KMOX.